The first reading uh, can be found on page 739, 739 of the Bibles beside you, and I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices together. They shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, the second reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through to 19. And that starts on page 1027 and goes over the leaf. The shepherds and the angels. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen them, seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks uh, very much for that reading, and Tony, thank you as well. Uh, please do keep your Bibles open at that Luke passage especially. As Adam mentioned earlier, my name is Jit, or Jitesh, and I am the associate vicar here. It's my great privilege to be continuing a series looking at the Christmas stories. And uh, we had a great rendition of them last week in the Nativity service. And so I can't do equal to that at all. But we're now looking at the shepherds and the angels specifically. A well-known story and hopefully familiar to many of us, but I hope that there will be rich treasure as we dig into it afresh this morning. Before we do, let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you might give us right understanding of it, that we might rightly divide it and apportion it. We pray and ask that we might honour it in our lives and that you might transform us afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last month I had the great privilege of taking a very short uh, trip to somewhere called Boston, New England, in the United States of America on holiday. And um, as usual, when I take uh, trips abroad, I didn't really read up on the city in advance. I wanted to, on the plane journey over, really get delighted and pumped and excited about it by reading the tour book then. And as I did, I realized that Boston had lots and lots of famous things to go and see. There was the Cheers Bar, which if you ever watch Cheers, you can go and you can drink a pint in the Cheers Bar. It's great and it's quite fun. They had the Boston Red Sox. I don't know much about them, but they supposedly were a great team, so okay. Um, they had Harvard University, which claimed grandeur and a deep root in history, which actually we know isn't quite true, but um, lots of great things to go and see. But I was really confused, because as I was preparing and as I was finding out about the city, it kept on mentioning one particular person who was famous who they celebrated in that city, and a lot of the main attractions were about him, this person called Paul Revere. Anyone heard of Paul Revere? Hands up. A few of you. Okay, not all of you. I, I had not heard of this guy at all. And sorry, I know there's some Americans right over there who are looking at me saying, you don't know about Paul Revere? I really didn't. And I was confused because some of the main attractions were going to his house where he was born, his local pub where he drank pints, um, and there's a huge statue commemorating something that he did in the midst of Boston, very confused. And as I uh, landed and got to know the city, I found out a bit of the backstory and right, rightly understood actually why he's so celebrated. Boston, many of you will know, was uh, instrumental at the beginning of the American War of Independence from us. And uh, when the British Army first landed to quell rebellion in that area, Paul Revere was one of two messengers who were sent on horseback across the countryside to raise the alarm. The British are coming, the British are coming. And to make sure that people gathered themselves together, formed militias and were able to fight off the British. And so he did his famous midnight ride out of Boston, went all across the countryside and people listened to him, gathered together militia. And actually the first two major engagements of that war, the Americans, most people say, won as a result, setting the trajectory for the rest of that conflict. And so he's rightly celebrated as someone who brought a message that saved a lot of lives at the great risk to himself. Now you might... No, I'm not going to go down the political line. Um, <laughs> the reason I wanted to start with that is that at the heart of that particular story is a messenger... Hello is a messenger and a message. There is a messenger of salvation, Paul Revere, and there is a message. The British are coming, get yourselves ready, or else. A message of salvation. And in our chapter, in our passage today, it focuses on those two things as well. A messenger, messengers, 
and a message, both of salvation. And we're going to look at each one of those in turn. So firstly, in our well-known passage, a message, the message of salvation. The message that the angels bring to the shepherds is of overwhelming importance for them to hear. Verse 10, the angel says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that is for all the people. I don't know if you've ever been woken up in the middle of the night by a knock on the door or by a phone call, and your instant reaction is one of fear. This must mean bad news, actually. And this was no doubt the shepherd's reaction to the angel appearing in the middle of the night, of fear. Actually, the Greek says they were terrified that it was megaphobos, they were mega afraid. This can only be bad news. They probably knew their Old Testament history, that angels predominantly appeared to pronounce God's judgment and enact it. Oh no, why is this angel here, this holy one? Oh dear, this is surely bad news. But we find out it's the opposite. The angel says, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. That Jesus' birth moments earlier was good news. The word here is euangelion, which is where we get the term evangel and evangelism from, which is literally good newsing. This is good news. Don't know what the um, best piece of good news you've ever had is. Maybe it's something along the lines of, she said yes. Maybe it's, it's a boy or it's a girl. Maybe something along the lines of, you've got the job, you're hired. Or maybe for some of us, you're fully recovered, all's well. What the angel says here is that the good news is of that level and even more. It's that good. It says it's good news of great joy. Again, literally, this is mega joy as opposed to mega fear earlier. Joy, which we know is different to the idea of happiness. Happiness has the same root as hapstance. It can be so variable, up and down, depending on the circumstances of life. But what the angel says here is there's great joy, that constant stream that can flow through life, and it comes from this message. The uh, famous children's writer and Oxford professor C.S. Lewis was once an atheist, and he became a Christian through a number of encounters of friends and witnesses along the way. And he wrote later, reflecting on this experience, that he expected Christianity to make logical sense, and it did. But he was surprised by joy, that there was joy. And that's what he named his autobiography of that uh, time as, Surprised by Joy. But Christianity, this message brings great joy. And then lastly, verse 10, it says, it's good news of great joy for all the people. And history, of course, has uh, proven this right. It wasn't just for the shepherds or the shepherds' nation, the Jewish nation. It was for all the peoples. And for the centuries since, peoples from across the globe have been impacted by this good news. And its importance can't be overestimated. You see, in history, there have been lots of different and very important messages that have been given. Uh, we are, as a church, 
celebrating 500 years of the Protestant Reformation uh, this year. And you're probably wondering, what, what is that? Well, it started with a, a monk scholar called Martin Luther nailing some theses to a door, rebelling against the institutional church and saying, no way, Jose, we're not standing for this anyway. He actually said, ironically, here I stand, I can do no other a few years later. A message of defiance that changed the course of history. Jump forward 450 years, and another Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, you'll know, standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, it's very moving if you ever go there, says, I have a dream and a message that changed the course of that nation. Closer to home in the Second World War, a defiant bulldog of a man, someone who most people had written off, Winston Churchill, a message Never give up, never surrender. Galvanized a nation to win. And even today, messages can change the course of nations. And we know recently a simple hashtag, Me Too, has had such powerful effect exposing an awful evil that needs to be eradicated. Messages can be important. There's been some important messages in history, but none are as important as this one that the angel brings. And we, we see why in the next verse, verse 11. The angel says, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. In a sense, the whole of the good news, the whole of the gospel can be found in this one verse. It says that a saviour has been born in the town of David, which is Bethlehem, that ancient town, predicted by Micah to be the one that would see the saviour born. And as soon as we see the word saviour, the question should be, well, what's he going to save them from? And this is fundamentally the reason the gospel, the good news, is such good news because we're saved from some very bad news. For the shepherds at the time, the Roman occupation would have been bad news, but it wasn't that. It was far worse than that. It was bad news that they had and that we have as well. It was the bad news of their sin, of my sin, of your sin, of wrongdoing before a holy and right God that stains our hearts, that cannot be easily removed. No amount of external scrubbing will do it. No amount of good works. It's there, it's marred us, and we can't get rid of it. And the good news of Jesus' coming is that we're saved from the inevitable consequences of God's justice and judgment. Because we can't get rid of it, but he can through the blood of the cross, through the blood of the lamb slain for the sin of the world. He can get rid of it. He can touch the places we can't. He has power through the cross. That's what he saves from. That's why it's such good news. And we see how in the verse as well. It says that he's a savior born to you, born to us, that he came, born as a human, as one of us which meant that at the cross he could fully 
take our place, taking what we deserve, what's called substitution, just like in a football game, taking someone's place because of his humanity, because he's one of us. And then it says, he is Christ, the Lord. When the angels call someone Lord, you know who they're talking about. It's the Lord that they serve day and night in heaven. The Lord of lords, the King of kings, God himself. That this is God himself coming as one of us. So that when he dies on the cross, the only one who could truly satisfy the demands of justice for the whole world's sin does so. And those two twin pillars of the gospel, substitution, standing on our behalf, satisfaction, taking the full demands of judgment and justice, mean that the gospel is good news of great joy for all the people. It's interesting taking the step back. The shepherds, when they heard this message, would have probably have thought of another message that was called good news of great joy that had been spoken in their lifetime that claimed the same effects. In the history of the time, the birth of the first Roman emperor, Augustus, after his death was heralded as good news of this level of importance. He was proclaimed, actually, the saviour of the world, I kid you not, who had ushered in a new and better age of mankind. One Roman writer proclaimed that his birth was the birth of a god, bringing good tidings to earth to the common benefit of all, and that his birth should mark the beginning of a new calendar. Really interesting parallels. And the shepherds, no doubt, would have known about this supposed good news. But of course, the proof is in the pudding. Yes, the birth of an emperor affected history for, we would say, perhaps 250 years until the Roman Empire crumbled, or began to crumble. But Jesus' birth was the real thing. And it has changed the course of history forever, up until this day and beyond. It is good news of great joy. And I want to end this bit by asking the question of you, do you believe it? Do you believe that it is good news for you personally? And if you do, are you still thrilled by it? Is it good news of great joy? Does it still capture your wonderment and delight? Are you still astonished by what Jesus has done? Or is it old hat? Is it blasé thinking? There was an old evangelist called Gypsy Smith, great name. He used to say, I've never got over the wonder of it all. Is that you? Have you got over the wonder of it all? Maybe we need to pray and ask God, God, let me see these things afresh. Just how good, how great this good news is. Well, that was the first thing in our passage, the message of salvation. And then secondly, there are messengers of salvation as well. And there are two very different types of messenger in our passage. The first, as we've seen, is the angel, followed by other angels, who tell of Jesus' birth as being good news. And then they say, after the heavenly chorus, go, find out, in Bethlehem, you'll see a sign confirming this. There'll be a baby in cloths wrapped in a manger. 
And we saw a great rendition of that this time last week, actually. And so they go to Bethlehem, they search out for the baby, and they find it just as expected. And when they find out it was just as expected, it says this, verse 17, have a look with it. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You see, the shepherds become the second set of messengers in this passage, the angels and the shepherds. And at first, nothing seems to link these two different groups of people. The angels, living in holy, resplendent glory, eternal, immortal, serving God in the highest, on one hand, and then shepherds, who were at the bottom of the social spectrum, outcasts of society, quite poor, actually, because they wouldn't have been looking after their sheep, probably, but rich people's sheep on their behalf. And they probably smelt of the sheep as well. Two very different sets of messengers. But I think what links them and answers the question that's often be asked, why did God say it first to shepherds, is the very simple fact that they're both available to God as messengers to be used. The angels, of course, always available at the right hand of God to be used. But the shepherds in our passage show that they were also available as messengers to be used. That when they heard the message of the angels, they were willing to leave their sheep behind a great financial risk and find out if it was true. And then when they did find out it was true, their first and automatic instinct was that they knew God had put it on their lives to share it with others. They were available to God to be used as well. We know from the Bible that one of the hallmarks of being a messenger of God is being available to him. So you'll know the great passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah really receives his call as a prophet and the heavens are opened and he's blown away by his own sin, God's own holiness. But that is dealt with through the burning coal and then he overhears the divine conversation about who shall we send? Whom shall we send to tell Israel about their obstinate rebellion? And what does Isaiah do? He stands up, put his hands in the air, and says, here I am, send me. Me, I'm available for this, send me. And as a result, most would argue that he became the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, the greatest foreteller of Christ's coming. We heard a passage from him earlier. You'll know of Moses, when he was called by God to be his messenger, initially said, no, you've got the wrong man. <laughs> it's not me, I'm slow of tongue. But then, with the help of his brother Aaron, he showed that he was available to God to be used, and God spoke through him to the hard-hearted ruler of Egypt, and a nation was delivered through those things. Ultimately, we know that Jesus, the living word, was available to be the saviour who would bring that word of salvation to us. He didn't have to do it. There's no need. 
But when push came to shove and our salvation was at stake, he was available to be sent to save us. It's been said that God is like us in this. He always uses the vessels that are closest available to him. A bit of an embarrassing story. Uh, Please don't laugh too hard. In my early 20s, I was going through the uh, selection process for the Church of England to see if they were wise enough or foolish enough to ordain me. And you'll know the result. And um, while I was going through this process, I applied for a variety of jobs because I knew that this process could take a number of years and I needed to apply myself to something in the meantime. And one of the jobs that I took was in a city called Oxford to be a university messenger, which involves cycling me around, going from college to college in Oxford, delivering internal mail that's sent between the Oxford colleges. And I thought, well, I've got a great working knowledge of the city. Um, I'm relatively fit and able, and I have my own bike. This could be a great job. And so I applied for it. But when I applied, I got rejected. I didn't even get an interview. And when they gave me a rejection letter, they said, we're really sorry, uh, but we think, along the lines it said, we think that you're overqualified for this job. It was utterly humiliating, because I told people that I was applying for this job, actually. <laughs> utterly humiliating. Now, the reason I tell you that story is that when we say, yes, use me, use me as God's messenger, he will never reject us, actually. And you will never be too overqualified for it, and you'll never be too underqualified for it either. It just hinges on your availability to say, yes, me as well. I wonder what this looks like for you this Christmas. I often, round about now, often ask the first question of people, what are you doing this Christmas? And you'll probably think Christmas Day, okay, it looks like this, I've got this plan, and then Boxing Day, this is going to happen. And most people have the whole week mapped out. What would it look like for you to be available to God, saying, God, here I am as your messenger that week? to family, to friends, to those whom you love, what would it look like? Say, yes, use me as well. Oh, as we end, going back to the uh, story of Paul Revere that uh, I started with, you might have noticed that I said that he was one of two messengers that were sent out of Boston that night. The other was someone called William Dawes. I'm I'm sure less people have heard of him who made a very similar midnight ride, but in a different direction from Boston. And sadly, because of that, no one took notice of his message. No one mustered themselves to action from those areas. And as a result, his name has largely been forgotten. There are no statues to him in Boston. His house hasn't been memorialized, and we don't know where he drank his local pints. But it could have been so easily the other way around if they'd been sent on each other's routes. It could have been so easily William Dawes as the one that's 
memorialized and remembered. And Paul Revere is the one who we don't really know much about and forgotten. What really mattered overall was both of them being willing to take that message out. And the fruitfulness of that message depended solely on the people that listened. And I want to say for you, and I'm saying this to myself, that in the past, you might have felt more of a failure than a success at being a messenger for God. I want to say to you, it's not about that. Your job is really simple, to be available to God for it. Actually, the fruitfulness depends on the listener, and that's not up to you. You may feel today that you're more like the grubby shepherd than the resplendent angel in terms of who you are, or somewhere in between. What this passage shows us is that that message of salvation can come through anyone. It just requires us to say, yes, here I am. Send me as well. I'm available to you, God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of salvation, the gospel, the good news, and may it give us great joy this Christmas. May we be thrilled with it afresh. May we understand it to greater depths and rejoice in swimming deeply in it. We pray awaken that fresh joy of salvation in our lives. And we pray and ask that you might be pleased to use us as messengers of it. Lord, we want to say here in this place that here we are, send us. Here we are, Lord, whether it be to success or failure in this. Lord, we want to say we are available as well. So come, Lord Jesus, and do these things in our lives. Amen. Thank you.